As we continue looking at the Gospel of Mark, um, I just want to set up this message in the end of Mark chapter 4. I want to set one thing on the table for you to feast on a little bit, and that is this. Fear is in contradiction to kingdom. Fear is in contradiction to kingdom. We're going to see that played out at the end of chapter 4. I, I, was, I, was, I was fortunate enough this, this weekend to be treated by my three sons to go camping. They said, Dad, we're going to take care of everything. Just want you to show up, and we're going to take camping. So Friday, Friday night, Saturday, my boys took me up to the mountains. They took care of everything. You know, I, I'm realizing how special it is uh, as a dad when your kids want to spend time with you, especially as they're adults. And it was really, really special. Uh, and it reminded me of when uh, I was a, a young one backpacking with my dad. I went backpacking with my father every summer. We would go up for a week up in the mountains, just just live up there for a while. And I, I vividly remember this one backpacking trip uh, where um, I was with my dad and our friends. And we're up in a, in a high country, and we were on one side of the lake, and there was another another couple guys on the other side of the lake. It was just those two little camps up there around this lake. And late at night, we hear them banging pans and hooping and hollering, and they're screaming, bear, bear, bear. And they're warning us that there's a bear around the lake. Now, we know the bear's over there, but we know he's not going to stay over there. And he knows there's a lot of us over here, and where there's a lot of us, there's probably a lot of food. And so we know he's going to make his way around. And so we go on high alert, as one does, up in the high country with a bear coming into camp. We bear bag our food, put it way out on high up on a, on, a, on a branch so the bear can't get to it, give him no reason to stay around, make sure we got a lot of firewood and a big fire to keep him away. And uh, we start looking with the flashlights around every little jostle of the brush you hear around, just waiting to see the two little eyes looking back at you. It was a little unnerving, but here as I look back on it, I realize, though it was unnerving, I was with my dad. And I knew that if the bear was going to get to me, he had to go through my daddy first. Do you understand? And I was more at ease in that tense situation than the others were because I had a different relationship with my daddy than the others had. I knew I was my daddy's first priority and I knew they weren't. You understand what I'm saying? Not only did I know if that bear was going to get me, he'd have to go through my daddy first. I also knew that my daddy would gladly give up one of them before he'd give up me. So thank you, pops. There are times in life when a bear creeps into your camp, there are times in life when a threat enters your world. And if you have a special relationship with your daddy and you are convinced that you are his priority, you will respond to that threat differently than others. You understand? In Mark chapter 4, before we get to the end of it, we see parables that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. 
The parable is one simple story that has one single point. So he gave us stories with one single point, and the point was about the kingdom of God. The kingdom in the Bible, when we talk about kingdom, we're talking about power and authority to rule and to reign. We're not talking about a location. We're not talking about people over which one has it. We're talking about simply the power and authority to rule and reign. Now, the power and authority to rule and reign will take shape in the context of territory and people, but kingdom is simply the authority and the power to rule and to reign. And Jesus has just taught his disciples about the kingdom of God, the power and authority to rule and reign in this world. And he has shown different miracles that gave examples, living flesh and blood examples of the authority and power of God to rule and reign in this world. And he's going to show them four specific examples of the kingdom's authority over the fallen kingdom of the devil in which we live. He's going to show that he has authority, the kingdom of God has authority over disaster, over demons, over disease, and over death. We have to note, please don't miss this, that the works of Jesus and later the works of the church were for the purpose of revealing the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, which will eventually restore all that is broken. Now, we live in a current kingdom that is fallen and broken. We all understand that, right? Problems, disease, death, difficulty, dissension, turmoil. We understand what it's like to live in this kingdom. But God has said, my kingdom has been planted and it is popping up. And you might understand when, where, or how, but it is going to pop up. And so we live in this tension of the current kingdom that is broken and fallen and disjointed and diseased and the God's kingdom that is at times showing itself in real time. We live in this tension. We know the kingdom. We've experienced the kingdom, but we haven't really experienced it yet. It is still coming. And when it comes at the return of Jesus, it will renew all things. But right now we're in tension. And what I see every time the kingdom of God breaks into the kingdom of this world, I see this common thread all through scripture, and I see it in current time. The common thread that runs through this is there seems to be a seemingly helpless condition of the individuals that are involved. They're in a helpless situation. For instance, what we'll see today, specifically, the disciples are caught in a storm, a life-threatening storm, and they're helpless over it. You go on in Mark, and you'll see a man who's possessed by demons, helpless over them and not in any control of his own life. We'll see a sick woman who has spent all her money on doctors who was helpless, without cure. We'll see a man whose daughter seemingly has succumbed to the helplessness of death. And in all four of those, there was a seemingly helpless individual that needed the kingdom of God to show up. Here's the point. Here's the point. Kingdom means there's no obstacle too great for Jesus' power to overcome. That's what kingdom means. There is no obstacle that's too great for, for Jesus' power to overcome. Now, no. If you're in a difficult situation, but you're convinced you're good, you got it, you don't need God to handle it. Do you understand? There, there, there's something about us 
that wants to believe, we got this. I can handle this. I'm all right. It's not bigger than me. And part of that is just good mental gritty attitude. I understand that. But there's part of it that we have to acknowledge. There are some things that we don't have. There are some things that we can't handle. There's some of those things that you've been dealing with for 5, 10, 20 years, and it's not getting better. Guess what? You can't handle it. Sometimes the kingdom of God and the rule and authority to reign only bursts forth when hell has broken out. Do you understand? So, if you're in a spot where you're helpless, you're in a good spot for kingdom to come forth. You've got to know that. If you're in a spot when you're helpless, that's no time for despair. That's for time to realize I'm in a good spot for kingdom to show up. Because the kingdom breaks forth where hell has broken out. But I want you to be aware. When we talk about kingdom... Kingdom is not forced upon people. It's a kingdom that people invite into life through the person of Jesus. I don't see anywhere in scripture, I don't see anywhere biblically, where the inbreaking of the kingdom has come into people who didn't invite it, uh, ask Jesus for it, and didn't want it. It's invited into a life. It's not forced upon anyone. And today I'm going to give you an opportunity to invite the kingdom of God into your life and to enter the kingdom. Mark's point in these accounts, before I get to him, I'll tell you his point. His point is twofold. One, to demonstrate the authority of the Son of God and the authority of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of the devil. His second point is this, to reveal the inadequate faith of the disciples. And so as we go into this, I want you to think of yourself, I think of myself this way, in terms of the disciples. And see where perhaps our faith may yet still be inadequate for the kingdom. See, Jesus had just, earlier in Mark, Jesus had just revealed the secrets of the kingdom to his disciples. And there's that one parable that's only in Mark about the parable of the growing seed. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a seed that has been planted and the farmer goes to bed, goes to sleep. He had no idea what's going on or how it grows, but it grows. He said, I've given you the secrets. I'm at work, whether you realize it or not, whether you think you participate in it or not, whether you don't have a hand in making it grow, you just have a hand in its revelation. I'm at work. That's the kingdom of God. And he's telling them the secrets and, and he realizes that though he's given them the secrets of the kingdom, they haven't arrived yet. They still don't understand it. And this, my friends, is the tension that we live in. Because God has demonstrated over and over and over, right here in these pages and in our lives, he's demonstrated that his kingdom has authority over the kingdom of the devil. It was so beautiful this morning, sitting right down here, a little couple, Johnny and Christine. A year and a half ago, Christine was diagnosed with cancer. And it was serious. And the doctor pretty much told her, just go see your family. I'm not going to talk to you about time frames. Just live the life you have right now. It was bad. Uh, and God did an incredible kingdom work. And there was great celebration and joy. And then she called and said she had a, a lump on her lung that was malignant. She was battling cancer and got another blow. And it just didn't 
It wasn't good. She showed up today after going to her PET scan, not a trace in her. Not a trace in her. Now, does that happen all the time? No. But that's one of those times when the kingdom pops forth. And we celebrate those times. And God has showed us over and over and over the demonstration of the kingdom of God and its authority and rule over the kingdom of this world. Not all the times, but it still happens. And this is the tension that we live in. God, give us more of that because we know what this is. But Jesus has given those secrets to his disciples and he's wanting to see the results of what has been planted 30, 60, 100 fold like the parable said. And he doesn't see it in them yet. And I see myself in them so much. He's given us the secrets. He showed us enough. And so, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. That day. What day? The day that Jesus got done teaching all those secrets about the kingdom. About, about the gospel, about the word of God being planted in people's lives, and about the kingdom of God bursting forth. That day, that very same day. When it was evening, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, that means the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care? Bonehead question number one. And that's a question we've all asked of God. Don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Be quiet. Be still. Sit down and shut up. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey. I want you to know something. That day, that day, that day that he had given them insight to the kingdom of God, that day, where they had already learned about the rule and authority of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of this world. Jesus had just finished teaching and he was tired. Why did he want to go over to the other side? Like, I don't know. Why do you want to get away from people sometimes? <laughs> right? I mean, have any of you just in this last week been around some people that you just had enough of and need to get away from? Yeah? So maybe it was that. He was like, you know what? I love you. I'm probably going to die for you, but I don't like you right now. You know, I mean, just like, he's just done. So maybe that was it. But he said, let's go over to the other side. There's no reason given why he wants to go to the other side. There's no reason given. Now, there's some things that are implied, and we'll learn about more in Mark chapter 5. But there's no reason given. So here's the thing. The question that I have to ask is, regardless of why he went over there, he just told him let's go. So here's the question. Has God ever decided to think for you and given you no reason why? Has God ever said, look, you're going to walk through this time in life right now, and I'm not going to tell you why. You just say it's time to go. 
It's time to go across the lake. It's time to get in the boat. It's time to go on a walk. It's time to walk this journey. I'm not going to tell you why. Have you ever wanted God, if you just tell me why, I'll be okay? God does this a lot to us. He does it a lot. Because he forces us to deal with the act of surrender. That's what these times intend for us to do. When he tells he this is your next step, and I'm not going to tell you why I'm making you walk this, he forces us to deal with the act of surrender. So the question is, will we surrender to the leading of God over, not in, over our life? See, to say that I will surrender to the will of the direction of God in my life, that means I get to work with him in what that direction is. That means that he gets to, it, it, he gets to get some advice from me on how this should go. Because I'm going to surrender to the in my life. It means I got a little bigger, but when I surrender to his desire and will over my life, that's surrender. And that's scary. See, here's what we have to understand. The fact that we don't know the reason doesn't mean they're in a purpose. And this is a huge difference. See, we want a reason. God, if you just tell me why, give me a reason. God, if you just let me under, give me a reason. And sometimes we got to remember that though we may never have a reason, there will always be a purpose. I know the purpose is that God will, in all things, work them together for good. That's the purpose. I might not know the reason, but I understand the purpose. And usually the purpose for the storm is to create an opportunity for God's kingdom to become part of the story. That's the purpose. So we got to learn. When God says go... Guess what time it is? It's time to go. This is the problem with church people. Us church people. I'm part of them. Our problem with church people is we want to debate it. We want to talk about it. We want to get some godly counsel about it. We got to ask somebody else if they affirm God saying blah, 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 blah. And we suffer from analysis paralysis. Sometimes when God says it's time to get in the boat and go, we got to get in the boat and go. You understand? Now, for those of you who are not yet Christ followers, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more exciting and more purposeful than surrendering to the direction and leading of God over your life. There's also nothing more frightful. And it is fun. The Bible says in Mark 4, 37 through 30, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now here, and let me just stop right here. I didn't say this in the first service, I didn't think about it. I want to tell you this. The, the, the Sea of Galilee where they're on, they're not in the ocean, they're in the sea. It's a very big sea. Uh, and it was common for storms to come during certain parts of the year and during the day. Now they're at night. And so as the, as the winds come over and the cold mixes with the heat and drops down, Storms at night were very infrequent, very infrequent. So this is nothing that they saw coming. They couldn't have seen it coming. It didn't happen very often. But these storms, though very infrequent, they were very violent. These were the storms that turned boats over. They were used to storms in the day, but this was at night, and they didn't see it coming. They couldn't see it. It came out of nowhere, and these were the dangerous ones. So there's a reason. 
it says it was a violent, furious squall. So the waves are coming over. Jesus was in the back of the boat, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, don't you care? Shouldn't this is the only place in the Gospels where, Jesus, where, where it records Jesus sleeping? Nowhere else in the Bible. This is it. Now, of course, he did, but this is the only reason he does, and it's for a purpose. It's interesting to me that Jesus can sleep through violent storms because he's not worried. Don't miss the contrast between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus can sleep through the storms that keep us up at night. You understand? All those storms we go through that keep us up at night, worried, concerned, stressed, that play over and over and over in our minds. We close our eyes, we still see it. We play music or watch Netflix at night just so we can get our minds off it. Jesus rests because he's not worried. I want you to notice this, the, this part of this. When they left, they took him along just as he was in the boat. What's, what's the last sentence of, 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 of verse 36 say? There were also what? Other boats with him. Did, did you notice that when we read it? Jesus was in a boat, and there were other boats with him that all went over. So Jesus wants to get away. He's in the boat teaching. He said, guys, let's go to the other side. And these other boats are like, hey, let's go too, because something, something about to go down. This is going to be fun to be with Jesus. And so they all head out with him. How many boats made it across the lake? Well, it doesn't necessarily say how many made it, but the implication is there was one. Because in Mark 5, verse 1, it says, when they, uh, they went across the lake, the they there, specifically the disciples in the boat that Jesus, it's not the they of the other boats. When they went across the lake, when Jesus got out of the boat, so the implication is only one boat made it across. Here's the point. Don't miss this. Not everyone who starts lasts. Don't stop short. Don't stop short. Fathers, this is Father's Day. Don't stop short. I am so thankful to you daddies who didn't stop being daddy. I'm so thankful for you fathers. As difficult as it may have been, as hard as it may have become, didn't stop. I know it's not always easy. Don't quit. I know that in this culture and in our society, violent winds are against manhood, masculinity, and fatherhood. Don't turn back. I know as a father, we don't know what we're doing half the time. But we're going to last. I want to encourage you, if you're a daddy, don't walk out. Don't walk away. Don't stop short. We might have to sail through some violent, difficult storms, but sail through them. You're going to make it. You understand? Jesus said, let's go the other side. I'm going to give you one guess where they ended up. Look, I'm paid to be here. I can wait all day long. 
Jesus said, let's go the other side. I'm going to give you one guess where they ended up. Where was it? The other side. Why? Because we learned a couple of weeks ago that God's commands are God's enablements. His commandments are his enablements. God says, you do this, you're going to do it. But they, in the midst of that, make the most com- they ask the most common question that we all ask at some point when we're faced storms in our lives. Don't you care? This is often our response when storms of life hit us, the bad ones. The small ones we think we can handle, we don't need God. But the big ones, we start asking a question. Don't you care? Here's what we have to understand. That storms in life cause storms in our heart. And it makes us ask God, don't you? Do you realize in this, implied in the statement, don't you care, is both blame and accusation? When we sit back and, God, don't you care? Implied in that is blame. God, because obviously this comes at your hand. And I blame you for allowing. And there's the accusation that probably because it's happened, you don't care. And so Jesus gets up. And he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And they died down. And it was completely calm. The Greek, completely calm, is the same word as furious squall. As terrible as the storm was, that's how calm it has become in an instant. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith? And they looked at each other and were terrified. He spoke to the waves and the wind, be quiet, be still, shut up, sit down. Because Jesus knows what we have to learn. 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God, that's what the Bible says. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's not about theory and theology. And The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And Jesus is revealing the power of the kingdom of God that he has invited us into. Some people will say that the storm is demonically inspired because those words quiet, be still is the exact same words in Greek that he used earlier, I think in chapter one, when he cast a demon out of a person, the exact same words, be quiet, be still, get out, the exact same words. So they suggest that this storm was a demonically inspired, inspired storm to stop his movement and his ministry. I don't think that's true. Could be. But I don't think that's the primary point of the storm because Jesus is going to prove his authority over demons in chapter five. It's coming. This is when he's proven his authority over the forces of nature because here's what I know. The natural course of the kingdom of the devil that you and I live in is destructive enough without demonic activity in it. Do you understand? Like we, we, we've been around the block long enough. We had enough bad stuff. We don't need to find a demon under every rock to try to explain all the bad stuff. It's just bad. It doesn't have to be from a demon. But don't miss this point. We need the kingdom of God in every situation, demonic or not. We need it to come forth in every situation. The kingdom of the devil and the kingdom of this world is so broken. We need the kingdom of God in every situation to make things right. And this is what we're really looking for. Unfortunately, we try religion to get it. 
We try, we try to make sure that we're good enough so that God will do something on our behalf and let the kingdom come forth. Maybe if I'm good enough, I say the right prayers, I quit doing all the bad, God will give me a good report from the doctor. Maybe if I'm good enough and I do all the right things and say the right prayers, God will save my marriage. Maybe if I'm good enough and do all the right things and say all the right prayers, God will help my father. Maybe if I'm good enough and I do all the right things. That's religion. And religion doesn't work, and some of you are all too painfully aware of that. So God breaks into life because of his grace for his people. The best thing that you and I can do is to give our lives to the kingdom of God through the person of Jesus and live life according to his kingdom rule and reign. One of the most profound parts of this text, I'm, I'm going to be done here pretty soon, but I want to press this. I want you to get this. This is really important. One of the most profound parts of this text, the disciples and Jesus both talk about fear. And they both talk about the fear of the disciples. Jesus talks about the fear of the disciples, and the disciples talk about the fear of the disciples. But they talk about the fear of the disciples in two very different ways. The disciples describe their fear. Jesus describes their fear. In verse 40, Jesus asks, why are you so afraid? In verse 41, they say of themselves, they are terrified. Those are two different words. Talking about the same person. So the disciples say they're terrified. You understand this word. It's the Greek word phobeo, which we get the word phobia. It's the fear about a thing or the fear about a thing can, uh, 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 about the harm that a thing can do to a person. We understand what this fear is. It's a threat that comes against us. It's the bear that walks into the camp, terrified. The problem with this type of fear is we can convince ourselves to be fearful of anything. Phobia is abound. I did some research this week. I want to share some with you. Aerophobia, the fear of flying. Some of you have that fear. Acophobia, or acmophobia, the fear of needles. Some of you have these phobias. Did you know that there's latrophobia, the fear of doctors? And anthrophobia, the fear of flowers. Did you know that's a real thing? There's barophobia, which is the fear of gravity. And there's cockophobia, the fear of ugliness. That's a real fear. Yeah. We can convince ourselves to be scared of anything. Did you know that there's uh, a fibophobia, which is the fear of teenagers, and phobophobia, which is the fear of fears? Yeah, can you imagine the fear of fears? I'm just so fearful of being afraid. These are real things. We can convince ourselves to be fearful of anything. A, a retributophobia, that's a fear of peanut butter. Seriously. And my favorite... Um, the Venus phobia, Venustrophobia, the fear of beautiful women. That's my little girl bulldog. She's a beautiful woman. And there's octophobia, which is the fear of bears. And we convince ourselves to be fearful of anything. And the disciples said that they're fearful of a thing that could harm them. We understand that fear, right? But that's not how Jesus talks about their fear. That's very different than how Jesus labels their fear. He says, why are you so afraid? He doesn't say, why are you so phobeo? He says, why are you so delos? Which that word delos is only used three times in all of scripture. Two times it's used is about this very incident in Mark 4 and Matthew 8. It's about this. There's only one other time it's used in all of the Bible. That's in Revelation 21. And in Revelation 21, it says, those who will not inherit the, uh, the kingdom of God in eternity are those who are delos. Afraid. So what kind of fear is that? It's timid in faith. This is the problem. 
Jesus had just taught about the secrets of the kingdom of God that can never be overcome. And he just taught about the seeds planted in the soil and he's looking for faith to be reproduced 30 times, 60, 100 times. And he's looking for that faith in in these disciples and they're far from it. You know why they were timid in faith? Because the storm came out of nowhere and they had no control over it. Has that ever happened? This came out of nowhere. I didn't see it coming and I have no control over it. I become timid in faith. And because they saw the power of Jesus and they realized that I have no control over this God. This is the problem with us church people. We want storms that are small that we can control and we want a Jesus that is small that we can control as well. Because if I can be good enough and do good enough, I control what he does and what he allows. We want small storms and small Jesus. That's not kingdom. Jesus says, you're still so timid. Here's what I know. Timidity of faith is in contradiction to the spirit that God has already given Christ followers. The Bible says God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. He's given us a spirit of power and love. And so the timidity of faith is a contradiction to the spirit that he's already placed within every Christ follower. Please note this. Timidity of faith leads to terror in the heart. Don't shrink back. You know what the most often uttered command in the Bible is? You know what it is? How many of you heard us? Do not be afraid or fear not. Any of you? Yeah, that's not it. <laughs> Whoever told you didn't read the Bible very much. It preaches well, but that's not the most, that's not the most often uttered command. The most often uttered command in the Bible is praise God. The, all the Psalms are about praise God. So I'm going to give you one hint or, or one guess. What's the second most often uttered command in the Bible? Fear not. See, those with a relationship with God through Jesus are the only ones who can always consistently and forever beat fear, especially the fear of death. Why does God speak so much about fear not? Because he knows that fear is so common in us. Kingdom faith. Kingdom faith requires confronting, controlling, and conquering fear. Kingdom faith. Requires controlling, confronting, and conquering timidity. And through Jesus, the kingdom of God has broken into the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of the evil one. But we must live in the kingdom of God with courage. Confronting, conquering, and controlling timidity of heart. Everything associated with the kingdom of the devil is contaminated, defiled, and broken. Everything associated with the kingdom of God is restored, renewed, and brings life. You cannot live in both kingdoms. And you're invited to live in the kingdom of God. Don't seek God for salvation and continue to live in the broken kingdom of the evil one. I invite you into the kingdom of God. 
Jesus continually confronts evil and its reign over our life and this world. And he continues to invite us to live under the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to invite you into the kingdom. I'm going to invite you into the kingdom and its rule and reign over life. I'm going to invite you to pray. Jesus, thank you for inviting me into your kingdom. I give you reign over my life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in the world and in my life. Forgive me for living according to the broken kingdom of worry and sin. Forgive me for living according to the broken kingdom of my ways over your ways. I want to live in and I want to live with the, your authority over my life. So I choose to live a kingdom life. This isn't about being a church person. This isn't about coming to Jesus for fire insurance. This is about entering the kingdom of God. And so either in the quietness of your own heart or out loud with your mouth, I'm going to invite you right now to close your eyes and enter the kingdom of God. That is already displayed its authority, its rule, and its reign over the kingdom of this world. That's already conquered every threat. That has already broken in. I'm going to invite you into the kingdom of God. In prayer, Jesus, thank you for inviting me into your kingdom. I give you reign over my life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in the world and in my life. Forgive me for living according to the broken kingdom of worry and sin. Forgive me for living according to the broken kingdom of my ways over your ways. This day, almighty God, I want to live in and with your authority over my life. This day, I choose to live a kingdom life. This day, I enter the kingdom of God. Amen. I want you to understand this, my friends. That kingdom living produces courageous living. And that kingdom living, kingdom people are a courageous people. We will not live in fear and timidity of faith, regardless of the phobias that might surround our lives. We will not live in timidity of faith, regardless of the bears that encroach upon our camp. We will not live in timidity of faith, scared of the storms and the waves, because we know that the kingdom of God has already come into this world. And we know that the kingdom of God is more Let's stand and sing together.